Welcome this morning. You are joining us at Calvary Chapel Valdosta. Pastor Deshaun Van Cleve is preaching from the book of 2 Corinthians as he continues this new series after finishing 1 Corinthians last week. Today's message is entitled, The Proof of Leadership, and is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 24. Now, let us listen in to what the Lord has to say. Good morning. Turn over with us to the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, we, we spent about 28 weeks, I believe that's what it was, going through the book of 1 Corinthians and studying how to reach our full potential as Christians. We learned so much in those 16 chapters. Well, it seemed very fitting to continue on to the second epistle of the book of Corinthians because there's still a whole lot more that we need to understand with regards to living the Christian life. But instead, this time of, of learning how to reach full potential, uh, this, this uh, book right here, this letter is going to help us realize how to restore um, to full confidence some of the things that are, are trivial today in our world in our society and, and consequently also in our church. So uh, this should be an interesting study to this book. Uh, there, are 12, there are 13 chapters in this entire book. It may not be as long as the other one, but I think the themes in this book are a lot more truncated than what we were dealing with in the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, we, we had a, a boatload of issues that the church was uh, dealing with that Paul the Apostle sought, sought to correct. But in the book of 2 Corinthians, there's just a few that he wants to clear up, a few things that he thinks he needs to iron out and straighten out for the believers. So if you would turn over there with me, I'm going to, uh, we're going to be studying chapter 1 today, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 uh, down to verses uh, 1 to verse 3. So if you would stand with me, we'll give honor to God's word, and then we'll dive a little bit deeper into the text. So it says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia, grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, we always want to approach your word with a desire to learn something new, but also with a desire to put into practice the things we already know. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds, our understanding, so that we can grasp spiritual principles. And we could not just be hearers of the word, but we would it would result in us being doers of the word. And we would look into the mirror, see ourselves, and walk away and make changes. This is what we desire, Lord. We know your word is active. It is the living word. It is alive. And it is the word that accomplishes what you set out to do. And so, Lord, would you set it out uh, to strengthen us today, to tear down anything that is not of you, uh, to be hidden 
in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. So we love you, Lord. Thank you for this time and this exercise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I stated to you, the book of 2 Corinthians is just a follow-on to the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, what we know about the Corinthians, it all comes from the book of Acts. In fact, Acts chapter 18 tells us all about the Corinthians. When Paul uh, spent time there, considerable time in Corinth, uh, God used him to reach out and make a connection with an enormous amount of believers. In fact, it tells us in Acts chapter 18 that Paul spent a year and six months teaching in Corinth. And so there was a great work there. And we just got finished going through 1 Corinthians to see a great church that was there. But not only was it a great work and a great church, but it was also great problems. And so in 1 Corinthians, the apostles sought to iron out the problems. In 2 Corinthians, he now has to try to restore full confidence to the believers. Something occurred uh, between his letter and now. And there were men that were there with, that were trying to diminish who he was. In fact, there were three areas that, that uh, they were under attack with in the book of 2 Corinthians. And this is why he wanted to restore them to full confidence. The first one was spiritual guidance. They started to view Paul as a, a problem. Uh, there were people that were talking about him. There were people that were, were making up accusations about him. There were people that were there in Corinth that were questioning his integrity and his honesty and sincerity and his work in the gospel. And so they were causing the Corinthians to be uprooted and causing them to be less confident about what he was saying and trusting what he was telling them to do. And so the apostle writes this letter very much from a personal note. The, the other one was more of a corporate tone, 1 Corinthians, where he's writing to the church at large. The second letter is more of a personal tone. And he's trying to convince and he's aiming to help them to understand that this is who I am. So the first area in, first, in 2 Corinthians is the area of spiritual guidance. That is understanding spiritual leadership and understanding what it looks like. And we'll be going through that uh, from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 7 uh, as the apostle uh, goes into that. But then he, he transitions into verses to chapters 8 and 9 where he talks about spiritual giving. And this whole discipline of pouring yourself out for others. Uh, that was his life and that's how he lived. But he needed to emphasize this a little bit more with the Corinthians. You see, what happens when you become puffed up and you start looking at yourself is that you forget others. And so chapters 8 and 9 is all about them being a blessing to other believers and them exercising this discipline of spiritual giving. But then chapters 10 through chapter 13 is really all about the apostle reminding them about the, the, the most important thing, which is the groundwork of their faith. Uh, he goes over the foundation because there were people that were there that were trying to rob them from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. In essence, they were trying to tell them, you need to do a little bit more if you think you're going to be saved. And, and this is what it's going to look like. And, and you really need to follow us and not Paul. And 
You, there's another name for these people in the scriptures. Uh, Paul, in the book of uh, Philippians, he calls them uh, beware of the, the dogs and the mutilators of the flesh. Uh, these were the Judaizers. The, the, the Jewish religion of that day was trying to creep into Christianity and put people back under rules and regulations and under the law. And what it was trying to do was spoil the groundwork that was prepared in Corinth. So you see, there's three areas, the, the demonstration there first of spiritual guidance of leadership, what it looks like, but then also the discipline of spiritual giving, that's also there, and then the need to just be very dogmatic in defending the groundwork of faith. And so this is what the whole book is really all about. And I think we can really appreciate it if we look at it through those lenses. So this morning, we're only going to look at chapter 1, and we're going to be discussing the proof of leadership. That is our title of this morning's message, The Proof of Leadership. And if you look at verses 1 all the way down to verse 7, we're going to be talking about the encouragement for others, meaning as a leader, the things that you're doing, you're not really doing for yourself, especially in Jesus Christ, but you're doing it for others. When you, mom or dad, are at home reading the Word of God, it's not merely just for yourself. It's so that you can train your discipulies, your mathetas, your little disciples, so that they can grow up to be godly men and women. You're not doing it just for yourself. You're doing it for others. And this is what it's all about. It's encouragement for others is what Paul is saying. And then verses 8 down to verse 11 is enduring for others. There are things that we go through, and sometimes we think it's just for us, but it's really for other people. God is giving us a testimony so that others can read and others can follow. And lastly, in verses 12, all the way down to verse 24, it's all about having an earnestness for others. And that, that means that an honesty, a sincerity, an integrity about your living. So let's look here at verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Interesting that he starts his letter out this way. If you look at the book of Romans and some of the other epistles, especially the prison epistles, he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. But that's, that's missing here somewhat. Well, mainly because, number one, he hasn't got arrested yet, according to the book of Acts, well, when he was arrested for those many years and how the book ends. But also, he is trying to establish a credibility, an authority that God gave him. Because remember, I told you that the spiritual leadership of Paul was under attack. And there were men that were trying to diminish his role in their lives. When he wasn't there, they came in like wolves and they tried to steal people's hearts after them. And so it says here that he calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Not his own will, not his own desire, but it is because the Lord Jesus called him. And that's the difference between a real spiritual leader and one that is just a hireling, is that he is called by God. He's not somebody that just decides to wake up one day and say, you know what, I desire to have this position as a leader, so I'm going to go ahead and just call myself a pastor, I'm going to go to this Bible college and get this degree. 
that, that's not real leadership. Real leadership is being called. You have to be called. And here he says it was by the will of God. And he throws in Timothy as well. And he calls them saints. And all of Achaia, that is the southern region of the country of Greece. So he says, verse 2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't have grace without peace or peace without grace. They are Siamese twins. So he says in verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That word comfort there is an interesting word. Uh, it is a Greek word called paraklesis. It is the word that we get uh, for the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 when the Lord Jesus says, I'm going to send you a comforter when I leave. That's exactly what it is. A paraklesis, one that comes alongside to bring aid, to help. And he says here that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's the Father of mercies. He is the God of all comfort, all help, all coming alongside. And notice what he says in verse 4, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted of God. If you don't understand anything, you understand that God is a God of comfort because that word was mentioned several times just in one verse. But here's the thing. God comforts us in all of our trials, in all of our difficulties, in all of our turbulence in lives so that not only can we just be comforted, so we can take that and comfort other people. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who receives something from God so that they can go out and touch other people. This is what it's all about. So everything that God gives us is not just for us and only to benefit us, but is really to benefit others. And that is the key. And so while we're going through even this whole time of, of coronavirus and COVID-19, 24, whatever it's called, as we're going through this time, sometimes we can sit back and just think it's all about us. But God wants the Christian to have things hidden in their heart so that they can help other people. This is why we go through different things. This is why we're growing through trials and tribulations. It's so that it can help other people. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 4, uh, the same writer, when he was writing to the Roman Christians there, he said, for whatever things were written before time were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so this is the key. Like even the people that were God was using to write the text, the Old Testament text, they were all written for those in the future, for their learning, for their comfort, their endurance. And this is the, the thing that we have to understand is that, uh, you know, it, the things that we're experiencing are for others. That we want to learn these lessons so that we can help other people. And this is what Paul is going through as a leader. He's saying that I'm going through tribulations. We're going through tribulations. We're being comforted by God, but it's so that we can comfort you. He says in verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. He says and whether we are afflicted, it is for your consolation, your encouragement and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. 
or whether we are comforted is for your consolation and salvation. He's saying, look, everything that is happening to us is for you. It's for your benefit. Now, there were some in the church that were saying that Paul was just living for himself. That him and his guys, his dudes, the, the ones that he was rolling with, they were just for themselves. They didn't really care about you guys in Corinth. If they did, they would be here. And they were trying to diminish Paul from the standpoint. But Paul is saying, listen, we're going through a lot of things right now. Not for us because we choose to go through them, but for you, for your benefit, for your encouragement. He says, even the suffering, so that you can look at us as an example. You can look at us as a pattern and see how we handle it. And he says, and whether we be afflicted, that's why he says it's for your encouragement and salvation. And then he says in verse 7, and our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you also be of the consolation, of the comfort, or the encouragement. You just, just as much as you suffer and you go through trials and tribulations, you're also going to uh, be a partaker of that which is comforting as well. Look, this is the thing that we must understand right here is that godliness, all godliness and godly leadership is going to go through some measure of trouble and tribulation. But it's really the, the leadership that suffers the brunt of it. These Corinthians were going to go through trials. They were going to go through persecutions. But Paul is saying that the leaders, we're actually going through more. Uh, God is using us, as we went over in the book of 1 Corinthians, as a public spectacle so that you could find courage, you could find hope in seeing what we go through. This is why it's very strange today uh, for leaders to be padded up, you know, with private jets and lavish houses and vacation homes while their people are suffering. It doesn't make any kind of sense uh, to be driving around in a Ferrari. As much as, you know, a person likes a Ferrari like the next man, it doesn't make any sense because people can't follow that pattern. And this is what Paul is saying, is that God was using us this way. You know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says that every person who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution, will suffer some tribulation, some troubles. It is just, that's part of the territory because this is the only way that we grow. That's how our endurance grows. That's how we stay committed to Christ. That's how our foundation grows deeper. And Paul is saying, look, we're going through things not just for us, but also for you. It's for your encouragement. And, you know, have you ever taken the time out and you try to think about those that uh, have invested into your life, those that, that are investing spiritually in prayer, wanting to stand in the gap for you, what they might be going through? I remember uh, back a while back when we were in Maryland and I started to have this thought about my pastor. And I was just thinking, I said, you know, this guy is pouring out every week. He's showing up, doing classes. He's counseling, you know, for countless hours, always up at the office, always on the phone, talking to somebody, always. And I was just thinking to myself, I said, you know, he's pouring himself out. Who's pouring into him? Who's doing that? Because it's a great encouragement for us as we watch and as we listen, as we take in and absorb what he's doing. But you know, he's doing this for everybody else, but who's pouring into him? And I remember it was just, it came to my mind, you know, just try to bless him. 
you know, and his mind is going to constantly be thinking, you know, are they trying to get something or do they want me to do something for them? But, you know, it was just trying to be a blessing. I remember we rode over to his house on, on our road bikes, my wife and I. She should never touch one of those again. But, you know, she we rode over to his house and knocked on the door. And he, you know, surprised. It's a Saturday. He's probably trying to prepare. And he's looking like, hey, what's going on? I said, hey, we want nothing. Just want to check on you. Just see how you're doing. And, um, you know, and I, I'm pretty sure that meant a lot because we talked a lot. But, you know, we need people like that. And this is what Paul is trying to say. Like, look, we're living for you. This is what we're doing, Corinthians. We're living for you. We're going through things for you. We want you to be comforted. We're thinking about you. And this is that whole thing. We, we have to remember to try to be not self-focused, but more thinking about others. Look, leadership is all about leading a life for the development of others. That's what leadership really is. It's leading a life for the development of others. If you're a leader, that's what you're focused on. You're not focused on trying to get to the next step in the ladder. You're not thinking about spending the bulk of your time musing about how you can, can look more sharp and how you can present yourself. If you're a true leader, you're thinking about the people. You will give your last dime, you'll give your last ounce of energy so that this person can look good. That is a leader, and that is a godly leader. It is one that is leading a life for the development of others. This is what Paul has been trying to do, but there were people there that were trying to say that he's just doing it for himself, that this is all for himself. And this is why he's saying, look, man, you, you know the sufferings that we're partaking in, but you're also going to be encouraged. In verse 8, he says, For we would not, brothers, have you ignorant of the trouble which came to us in Asia." I know it says Asia there, and the Greek is Asia, and it's not the continent of Asia, but rather it is Asia Minor, or Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And so he says, we want you to know of the trouble that is overtaking us. Now, this is important to understand because oftentimes we don't get a glimpse into what this man was going through. But he, he's trying to win the Corinthians back, and he wants them to see the pressures. That, that word for trouble there, that's exactly what it means. It, it means pressures, uh, the things that they were under. Now, if you recall, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he had just told the Corinthians that he was in Ephesus. If you remember, right around uh, verse 9, he told them that he was in Ephesus and that there was a great door, a great opportunity was open for them. And so while he was excited in writing that letter, he spent almost three years there in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, and teaching God's word. I mean, it was such a great work, but there was also great trouble. And that's, that's the key. He says there was great trouble there. He says, we want you not to be ignorant of the trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength in so much that we despaired even of life. This is what he's saying, is that not only was it their great door, but this thing turned out to be great trouble, things that he had to deal with, uh, people that he had to deal with. Now, Acts chapter 19 just gives us a brief instance of what happened and what occurred there with a man named Demetrius. 
But, it, but obviously, Paul said there was a lot more going on. You don't understand. He says we were depressed. When he says pressed out of measure, that is a, a word for depression. We were depressed. And he says we were above strength. That means they were defenseless. It, it felt like there was nobody on their side. And then he says in so much that we even despair of life. They were in despair. They felt like this was the very end. And you know, spiritual leaders, oftentimes, they may not necessarily go through all three of these things at once, but, but in the work, they are subject to at least one of these things most of the time, maybe two of these things, maybe even three. Being depressed, uh, being defenseless, uh, feeling like you're in despair. Uh, this is the, he's trying to open his heart to the Corinthians to help them to see so that they can empathize and realize that he's not living for himself, as people are saying. Uh, you know, just this idea of depression. I, I don't deal with depression. That's not something that comes upon me. Uh, but it, it does come upon a lot of people, especially in the day that we live today, where they feel just alone and, and they feel like, man, this is just a gloomy day. It's just overshadowing. But, you know, a leader oftentimes feels alone. They, they feel the pressure and the weight of the work. I often think about the uh, Moses in the Old Testament. It tells us that while Joshua was out fighting the battle, Moses went up to the top of the mountain with his staff in his hand. And as he sat there, he raised the staff so that Joshua could see that, the, yes, Moses is there. The Lord is with us. But his arms began to become very heavy. And they started to come down. So it tells us that Aaron, his brother, and her, another guy, came alongside and he lifted up his arms so that he didn't have to do it by himself. And this is what happens when a leader is working for the kingdom. His hands get heavy. He gets overloaded and he feels weighed down. And that's that idea of being depressed and pressured is that, man, there's a lot going on. And, you know, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to pray about. There's a lot for other people that the leader is trying to do. And, and they need help. And he says that above strength, feeling defenseless. That, you know, many a leader feels defenseless oftentimes. I remember uh, reading a book by Paul Tripp called uh, Dangerous Calling. And, uh, you know, in this book, he, he talked about uh, just a lot of things that leaders have to be careful of uh, when they're serving in the ministry. And uh, one of those things uh, that he mentioned in there was, um, or it may have been another book as well. I can't get my books right. But nevertheless, he was talking about uh, being in uh, leadership and people looking at you, expecting things of you. And he said there was one time in which, you know, he was serving at this one church and these people, they were uh, constantly telling him what he was doing wrong. They felt like every year they needed to tell him how he needed to shape up, what wasn't right, you know, what he needed to clean up in the church. And he said there was one guy that would take him out to lunch every year just to tell him where he was. And he said, man, that got under his skin so much. But God was telling him not to say anything, but to endure that defenseless state, that posture. And, and God came around and he turned those people's hearts around and they began to look at things a little bit differently and apologize to him. And, um, and you know, I, I think that is important 
uh, for us to pay attention to is that a leader is not somebody that's just walking around with a sword. They're ready to chop you down. They got the word of God. They can tell you in and out, but they're walking in humility. No, 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 looking to try to de destroy you. But, you know, you have everything and they're just trying to pour into you. And, and we need to be thinking the other way. And he says, in so much we despaired even of life. He felt like that, that even their life was at stake. Because in verse 9, he says, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves, but God which raised us to death. He says, we were even thinking about in our hearts. I mean, this, I don't know. I, I just think that this is probably going to be it. I'm about to go to heaven. No, you got to understand. He just told us in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verse 9, that this was a great door, a great opportunity. But yet, we see so much great trouble in the midst of that. That, you know, he's thinking that this might be it. I'm thinking I'm going home to heaven at this point. I mean, the stuff that we're dealing with in Ephesus. Uh, he's opening his heart for the Corinthians to see this. He says, but we didn't trust in ourselves. Because trusting in ourselves causes us to do one thing. What does it do? It causes us to run. As soon as we feel pressure, as soon as we feel that we're defenseless or despair, we're out of here. Um, you know what? I'm pack up. I'm leaving. And he says, but we trusted not in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. We said, you know, we know God can do greater things than this. And, it, and if they kill us, we'll, we understand that God can raise us back up. This is what he's saying. And he says, but we were trusting God. And he says, verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us and who we trust that he will yet deliver us. You also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Paul the Apostle says, look, we're enduring all these things. We're trusting that God is doing this. But we're enduring this not for ourselves, but for you and for other people, for the churches. And he says, but the best thing that you guys could do for us is praying uh, for us. And that is, that's the key right there is that kingdom workers that the best thing that you can do for a kingdom worker is to stand in the gap and pray for that worker and for the work. Prayer is the key thing. You know, he says you're helping together by prayer for us. That this is encouraging to us. You know, while they're going through these trials and these tribulations, that there's somebody saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I'm standing in the gap for you. And then, I'm, you know, what can I pray for? Just I'm adding it to the list. You know, that right there brings great encouragement, a great measure of focus as well. And so what he's trying to tell the Corinthians is that we're enduring so much as leaders. This is the proof of leadership. We're, our encouragement is not for ourselves, it's for you. Our endurance is not for ourselves, it's for you. So much of it is for others. But then he switches here in verse 12. He says, for our rejoicing is this. And this is the key. He says, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly towards you. This brings rejoicing to the apostle. He says, this is something that we're going to boast about, that the testimony of our conscience is in simplicity. It is in godly sincerity and integrity. This is what he is saying. That, look, we're not living for ourselves. We're living in honesty. We're living with a clear conscience. 
You know, a clear conscience uh, leads to a peaceful conscience. But it's like John MacArthur said. He said that a defiled conscience, if it is tolerated or suppressed, it makes real integrity impossible. That, that conscience of yours, the things that you're doing. He's saying, look, man, we're walking in honesty, in simplicity, in sincerity. We're not trying to take advantage of anybody. We're doing what's right. This is how we're living our lives in everything. That's what he says in our conversation in the world. We're not doing this for ourselves. We're not trying to put a cloak, a covering over ourselves. He says, no, we're doing this with integrity. And the key is that we need to have some measure of integrity. Paul is explaining that spiritual leaders need an earnestness about them. They need an honesty and integrity to surround them. Not somebody that's doing things shady or being one person in the public and another person in the private. But, you know, instead, walking in integrity. we got to make sure that we don't have a defiled conscience, as, as MacArthur said, one that is suppressed or tolerated. I mean, you're not going to be a man of integrity or a woman of integrity if you have that. that, that that's what makes a godly leader uh, truly qualified. Not because of you know, his charisma and all these other things, but because of his character. And this is what Paul is saying. You can trust our character. Verse 13, for we write no other things to you than what you read or acknowledge, and I trust you shall acknowledge even to the end. See, there were some people there that were saying, look, they're writing these things, but they're not really saying that. And he doesn't really believe that. And he's he's trying to, look, he's trying to persuade you to trust in him. And Paul said, look, we're not, we're not being double-toned. We're writing to you in truth. We're living before you in integrity. This is the key. This is what you need to understand. Now, this is important because the world that we live in today, there's not a lot of integrity. Uh, most people say, hey, you could still be a leader. You could be somebody that's prominent and influential and still be flawed. And so in, instead of thinking to, to yourself that the flaw is going to diminish the effect, people say, no, it's good to have some flaws because the flaws are going to really boost your influence. And that's that's all false. That's not truth according to God's word. The scriptures tell us in the book of Ecclesiastes that a little folly in the person that is supposed to be in great reputation is like dead flies in some perfume. It doesn't make sense. They don't mix together. And so we live in a day and age where there's many people that say that they have a falling or this happened, they got divorced or they had an affair or they stole some money or whatever it is, but guess what? I'm still going to be a congressman. I'm still going to be a pastor. I'm still going to be a CEO. And that diminishes leadership. This is what Paul is saying here. We are men of integrity. And that's what a spiritual leader is. A proof of leadership is integrity. Is a person walking in integrity. That honesty makes real integrity possible. And this is a, we got to really be people of, of honesty and truth and not be people of just, you know, just liars. I mean, so much of what we have today is about lies. You know, people can go and tell a lie and just be okay with it. we got to be people that are not okay, that on the inside we, we are people of truth. We're telling the truth constantly. We're being truthful to other people. We're not trying to leave certain details out. 
This is how we need to be. And this is how Paul said that they were. In verse 14, as you have also acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence, he says, I was minded to come to you before that you might have a second benefit and to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia to you and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. Let me explain what he's talking about here. When he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, he was in Ephesus. He told them that he wanted to come to them there in chapter 16. He said he was hoping that he could come to them. His desire was to cross over that body of water right into southern Greece, right into Corinth, and spend some time with them after writing the letter. And then he wanted to go up the, the coast to the north and spend some time in places like Thessalonica and Philippi. He wanted to spend time there and then come back down and spend time with them in Corinth a little bit more to finally take in a ship to go all the way over to Israel. This is what his desire was. But he says, I couldn't do that. He says, when I was therefore thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh that with me should be yes, yes, and no, no? He's saying, because some people there were saying, I thought Paul was coming. He's not even a man of his word. He didn't even show up. He said he was going to come in the letter, but we haven't even heard from him. We haven't even seen him. Paul is like, look, I was minded to come, but it didn't happen the way that it, that it was supposed to happen. God was moving in a different way. And he says, there's no yes, yes, and no, no. Or, or in other words, saying, when I'm saying yes, I really mean no. Or when I'm saying no, I really mean yes. He's like, I, I, that's not, no shadiness here. We're not doing anything to confuse you. He says, but as God is true, our word towards you is not yes and no. Now, this seems very elementary. Because he didn't show up, now we can't trust him. This seems so elementary. But understand this. There are many people out here that suffer from trust issues. And many people out here that had fathers in their lives that did not show up, had parents in their lives that said they were going to be there and didn't show up. And so as soon as something goes wrong or this guy doesn't do exactly what you think he said, not even thinking about other circumstances that matter, all of a sudden you lose trust. And you're like, man, I can't trust this guy. I'm not We've got to be able to take those things and set them aside and try to think spiritually. Notice how Paul uses his integrity and he matches it up against God's integrity. He says, for the son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him was yes. He says, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God by us. He's saying, look, man, you can believe our word because our word is tied to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not shady. The things that he says for you, the things that he has for you, he's not going back on his word and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And no, you know, God is not waking up one day and saying, you know, I'm just tired of this guy, Jim. You, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not even going to be with him today. No, he doesn't think that way. All of the promises of God in him are yes and amen. We can be confident on that because he doesn't change. He's not, he's not um, you know, always vacillating between his feelings. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Paul says this is exactly how we are. He says, 
But as God is true, our word towards you was not yes and no. Our word is just like him. And so he's trying to convince them of his integrity. He says in verse 21, Now he which establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit into our hearts. He says that God has sealed us and God has given us the seal, the guarantee, which is the Holy Spirit. He's allowed the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And this is like a, an earnest money deposit, if you want to call it like that. You know, before you go buy a house, you have to put down a deposit. And that's an earnest money deposit, meaning I am honestly saying I'm going to buy this house. And I'm going to do that by offering some cash. And so I'm putting skin in the game. That's why it's called an earnest money deposit. It's, it's an honesty of a deposit. This is what Paul is saying that God has done for us. He's saying this is what I am doing with you guys. I'm being very honest. He says he, God has done the same thing with us. He has sealed us. He gave us the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. The guarantee. The deposit. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you, I did not come as yet to Corinth. Not for that we have domination over your faith, but a helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. Listen, this is what he's saying, is that he sent the letter forward, and he wanted to come and spend time with them, but he was also trying to figure out what happened, uh, and how did they respond to that letter that I sent. Now, he sent the letter with his uh, fellow servant, Titus, or we know him as Titus, uh, after the book of 2 Timothy. But you know, this guy, Titus, he went and brought the letter to the Corinthians. Paul was waiting for him to bring him word again, to tell him what happened. But he didn't, he didn't find him. We'll find out a little bit later in the next chapters that uh, Paul was waiting for Titus to come back. And he got so um, nervous because he was thinking to himself, how did that word come across to the Corinthians? Did it destroy them? Did it help him? And he didn't find him until he got over into Philippi and he finally came and told him that, you know, it went well, but however, there were still some issues. And so he says, look, I didn't want to come because I wanted to spare you. I wanted to first just see how this was going to work and maybe you would repent of it. But he says, I didn't want to have some domination over your faith. Some of your Bibles might say, I'm not here to lord over your faith. Or to be over you, you know, and, and press you down and put you under me. That's not spiritual leadership. And, that, and sometimes we confuse spiritual discipline with spiritual dominance. And, you know, because a, a person, some spiritual guidance in your life, some person is trying to say, hey, just speaking emphatically, man, you must do this. Or, hey, man, I'm praying for you, but here's what you need to give up. Or, you, you've got to make this change that we kind of associate that for spiritual dominance. They're trying to tell me what to do. They're trying to be over me. That's not dominance. You see, spiritual dominance only thinks about self-advancement. It's only for their own interest. That's a person that's domineering. They're trying to make you do something so that they can make themselves look good or something for them. But a spirit, spiritual discipline from a godly leader is supposed to stir you up. It's supposed to rub your feathers the wrong way here and there if to help you spiritually. And this is what Paul wants. He says, I'm not trying to lord over you. 
I just want to be a helper, a helper of your joy. He says, for by faith you stand. That is my goal, is to be a helper, somebody that comes alongside, that stirs you up, that, that encourages you, that exhorts you. This is what real leadership is all about. And so <clears throat> the apostle had to write this to, to help persuade, to help them to see that this is not who I am, that I am a man that is being poured out for you. I am a man that is being encouraged by God, but it's really encouragement for others. I am a man that, that is growing in endurance, but it's not just endurance for me, I'm enduring for others. That I'm a man that, yes, endeavors to be earnest and, and honest and full of integrity and normal, but it's not just for me, it's for you. That's what he's saying, it's for you. And he wants to convince the Corinthians of this. And so, gang, that concludes our study this morning, and I want to encourage you to go ahead and, and read ahead in the chapter so that you can understand fully of what the apostle is trying to say. We're going to explore so many other things about spiritual guidance and how he says that they are earth, they have this treasure in earthen vessels and how they are pressed in on every side. This is what spiritual leaders go through. And we, we need this. We need to restore full confidence in spiritual things today. Think about this coronavirus thing. Think about what it's doing. There are many people that are saying, man, I'm, listen, you're probably not going to see me out until 2021, you know, because they're talking about the corona is going to come back. There's not a lot of confidence that's out there. And one of the things that the enemy works hard to is to diminish the, the confidence that you have in spiritual leaders. And so when one of a, when a spiritual leader falls and succumbs to sin, that also diminishes people's view of spiritual leadership. And therefore, they don't think that they can follow people because they're like, man, they're just falling. But there, there is a remnant that is full of integrity that wants to do the will of the Lord. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but there is, there is a remnant that wants to walk circumspectly. And we need to concentrate on that. But we'll also see those things of spiritual giving and knowing how to handle our money in times like this and the way that we need to be thinking about pouring out for other people. Very, very important as well as the spiritual groundwork. So there's so much in this book for us to, to glean and grasp. I encourage you to go back, read over chapter one, also read ahead for next week. We would like for you to stay in touch and up to date with us. Follow us on Twitter at CC underscore Valdosta and visit our website at ccvaldosta.weebly.com for additional information about Calvary Chapel Valdosta and an archive of previous sermons. You can reach us by phone at 301-395-3382. Calvary Chapel Valdosta is a fellowship of believers committed to the study of the Word of God and seeking the things that are Jesus Christ's. Let's say a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you for 2 Corinthians and uh, just the many truths that are found in there. Uh, in this chapter that we covered today, especially about you being a God of all comfort, <clears throat> able to comfort us in our trials, and, uh, and knowing, Lord, that it's not just for us, but it's for other people. And so I pray that you can help us to do well. Lord. We want to respond well. We want to respond the way that, uh, that you are intending for us to respond so that we can grow and so that we can go and be used by you. 
So thank you, Lord, for uh, the word, and I pray that uh, the word would accomplish that which you set it out to do in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.